this land if they live righteously. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and as the music would tell you, yeah, that's right, it is an Articles of News episode, uh, and uh, well, we have a musical introduction uh, to my uh, my co-host for Articles of News. As I told my wife, who I was recording with, she sang to me, keep your filthy paws off my silky drawers. Would you pull that crap with a net? And that's who it is. It's Annette Luthy Lion. That, of course, music a little bit from Greece. So thank you for being here, Annette. Glad to be here, Reggie. Uh, we went back and forth before we started, and I said, is it Nanette? Is maybe that what the word is? Uh, it's one of those things where you sort of remember the lyric, but you don't know if you're remembering it for the purposes that you want it to be or what the actual lyric is. But I looked it up, and it is, in fact, Annette. You must be so proud. So proud. Good job. Oh, a woman of virtue, even in the time of Grecian times. Uh, what's what's new with you? Uh, well, uh, in January, we got the Omicron. That was yeah. not fun. Yeah. Um, fortunately, we got the you know vaccine boosted version, so nothing serious. Just a week or so, just being kind of miserable. But yeah. um, the weird thing is that so now there are eight of us in the house right now because of various, it's a lot of in the now it's kind of daughter about to go on a mission and another daughter staying here with her family while they build their house and all this stuff. But, um, my youngest has, has, she's been exposed. My husband got COVID, um, September of 2020. And then he, uh, he got it again in January. So did I, um, and we're pretty sure a couple others in the house said she has never caught it. We're trying to figure out like, how's, even before vaccines, I'm like, how have you, you've been exposed so many times. She's like, I don't know. I must be immune. I'm just amazing. I'm like, well, you are amazing, but <laughs> I don't know. Yep, she's she's going. Um, she had her mission call though. I guess that's the big thing. Where where's she going? She's going to Orlando. Okay. Okay. Which we hear is they they call it the happiest mission on earth. Of course they do. So of course, um, like all my girls, she's a redhead. So we're gonna be like sending a whole bunch of sunscreen. Yep. Can she wear um, hats? Can she wear hats as a missionary in Florida? I don't know. Her mission is one where they have said there'll be lots of mosquitoes, so bring lots of. Deet, and she'll probably be wearing slacks a lot for that reason, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Oh yeah, so that's exciting. We had to go to the temple with her, and um, she's as our youngest. It was, it was, it was really, really cool. Actually, about a week ago, we went and um, sitting in the celestial room, there was me and my husband and our four children all together. Wow! And that was a, that was one of those moments where you're like, wow, this is a you know, mental snapshot. Remember this because that was that was really special. I was going to say, mark that down because those those occurrences rare just in general. But yeah. you know, as people make different choices, and not saying that they will or that they won't, but you know, there's yep. a whole lot of life in front of people where they you you may not have everyone back in the room. Again. Amen to that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I just sat there and just kind of tried not to cry. It was really special. So yeah. Did did that. you actually succeed in not crying? Uh, no. <laughs> I have found myself with, and I don't know if it's January influenced or what the thing is, but if there is any sort of cue to be a little bit weepy about anything, whether it be like moment in the movie, a commercial that wants me to feel a certain way, I read something that, you know, maybe my wife just leaves me a little note like, hey, have a great day. I don't know if it's just January, but it takes so very little for me to just well up with tears and being like, oh, okay, here we go. I'm just going to have to send you some, you know, old AT&T commercials or something. 
you know. Reaching out and touching someone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So when does she go to Orlando? Uh, Well, she starts home MTC at the end of February. That'll be about a week and a half. Mm -hmm. And then she'll be at the Provo MTC for another week and a half, something like that. And then she flies out to Orlando itself late March. And I don't know if you have played for her the hit song from Dave Nolan's The Good Shepherds, an interview that we did a couple episodes ago uh, where he features the song Let's Buy Florida uh, as the church owns like 8% of the state of Florida. You may uh, encourage her to uh, to hear that song. It's, I will. It, it, it is a fascinating—it it is, uh, as far as I go, the catchiest song of that musical that I heard. That's, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And, and and we should. Let's buy Florida. It matters. We own 8%. Let's buy the other 92% and buy the whole state. Let's just do it. Or, you know, at least get to 10% because that's one of our numbers, right? Yes. Yes. Symbolic, I think. I could be I could be on board for that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there is anything, um, what, exciting, something to share. I'm still living in the rental home. Uh, and paying a mortgage on a different home, that's fun. If you ever want to feel like you're not making any headway financially, pay rent and a mortgage. Uh, oh, we did that for not fun. No, nope, nope. No, no. Zero stars do not recommend. Um, oh, oh, I will say this, and and I hope this doesn't... I hope this doesn't ruin it, first of all. And second of all, uh, I hope that I don't look up back on this and, and think that, oh, that was when life was easy and life is going to get harder. But have you ever had that moment in your life where you feel like you're on the precipice of something um, very changey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel very much that right now. I have no idea what the change is going to be. I have no idea what, like, like I've had for the first time... Um, when I think about moving into our new neighborhood, like the, a, a thought of like, um, like maybe there's a, a, a significant meaning of why I should be living there in that particular neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not necessarily like religiously uh, initiated or anything like that. I haven't met anybody in the ward. I've only met a few of my neighborhoods neighbors, but it is uh it is a feeling like, Oh yeah, this is, there's something to this, and I don't know what this is yet. Oh yeah, there's a bit. I've had that where you have times where um, you can kind of just picture life continuing sort of as it is. Stuff happens, but there's the road in front of you, and then there are those moments like now where suddenly the road you don't you don't know where it's going. Good, bad, left, yeah. right. Who knows? But it's significant, and something's going to change for sure. I yeah. remember when we were building the house we're in that was almost 20 years ago. Um, I remember standing on the street in front of our lot. Um, and I think you might've had a foundation by that point. Um, How firm but, was it? Uh, sorry, I couldn't help it. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and I, I actually had this moment of, it was almost, it sounds really bizarre to try, try to put it into words, but it was almost like a timeless thing where I had already experienced like Christmases there. And I, I, I felt like this is where my home is. Like I understood that I'm connected to the spot with my children and, all of these experiences that were going to happen kind of felt present. And it sounds really bizarre, but it was like, yes, this is big and hard and changing, but this is what's supposed to be happening. So yeah, I've been there. It's wild. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, all that to say, uh, yeah, pretty good. 
things are good. I know with as far as news, which we'll come uh, up and do here in a minute, there's not a ton of news, although we've got some really just heartbreaking stories and some curious stories that we'll do as well. And then uh, in the third block of this Articles of News, we're going to throw in an interview that I did with the anonymous uh, person behind the handle BYU Parody. If you haven't seen this Twitter account, it 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 makes me laugh, and you can you can certainly tell uh, the type of person I am. The fact that this makes me laugh. It they their uh, their user handle is at BYU Parody, but the uh, title that they use, like their their name that shows up, is BYU Official Updates. So they tweet as though they are the university, but they're all uh, parody and satire, and it's it's so brilliant. Parody satire, but people—if you don't go to the, you might be taken in if you're not paying attention. Yes, and when they and to be able to not only see that kind of stuff that they post right on the nose, like it's like, ooh, yeah, I mean, you are right, but that is looking a hard look at ourselves, which I appreciate. Yeah, Yeah. I, I, which I appreciate. But also when people get in line and go, yeah, that's right, we are, because they think it's a real account and it's a joke. It's probably one of my favorite things it's, it's so, like people believing an onion article yes and you're like guys are you seriously believe that much like yeah so that's coming oh, up in the boy. third block oh, can't wait to hear that interview yep so we'll share that uh let's take a break real quick and we'll come back and do actual articles of news <laughs> Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need Creative, affordable design. Let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second half of Articles of News, where we do actual articles of news. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And away we go. Not a whole ton of news since the last time we did it. And, you know, we're trying to do it every week, maybe every three episodes or so. Uh, but we cover any sort of news that would be pertinent, things that might be interesting to you, things that you go, I wonder what their take on this is, or making you aware of things that you did not know were existing. Like maybe this one, for example, uh, Saints Volume 3, coming soon to an app and or bookstore near you. Uh, the, uh, the interesting thing about Volume 3 is that it's not just here in the United States where with so much of the volumes one and two, it's like Kirtland, and then, you know, we make our way west, then we come to Salt Lake, whatever. Um, The volume of Saints number three will include the history of the church and its growth throughout Europe, including Czechoslovakia, France, Germany, the Netherlands, and the United Kingdom. It will also include church responses to a global economic crisis and two world wars, so obviously goes through the early part of the 20th century. It talks about political and financial pressures for the church in America, how the church addressed its past of polygamy, and the history of the Swiss temple and how it came to influence the development of all other international temples. And they expect that to be out before June of 2022. So it's covering through World War II? That's a Holy cow, it's a lot. 
Yeah, I think what they did is like the first one was like little, little bitty and we went super deep. And then they just are like, well, how do we, how do you craft a narrative about a worldwide church where, I mean, you could do an entire book just about the church in the Netherlands from the beginning, the church in the United Kingdom from the beginning. I think they just do their best to go, okay, what was an influence here? What was an influence here? But I know that there are individual country projects within the the church history department where they're saying, yeah, the church in New Zealand, let's get that all gathered together. Church in Australia, you bet. A little fun thing, former guest of the hall, Melanie um, Larson, um, she's a playwright and whatnot, and she was hired to work on St. Spike. I'm pretty sure it's volume three. Um, And she told me a little bit that, you know, they, because they wanted to read like it's a book, like a novel, but it's true stuff. So um, she was saying she was really enjoying the research because it, it is kind of a lesser known part of church history. I didn't realize it went through World War II, but I think she was working on like the late 1800s and early 1900s, something like that, um, which we don't know a ton about. We Typically, I mean, you think church history and you're like, oh, Kurt, like you said, Kirtland, Nauvoo, you know, mm-hmm. Palmyra. Um, but she was saying how, you know, anytime she put anything in that wasn't directly sourced someone would challenge it so um she mentioned like in the january there's a date and then we you know the, on this night the, the prophet said this or met with someone or something or other and she said it was a snowy night and he said was it where's <laughs> <laughs> your she's like Are you, it's january it probably was We're like well you better find out <laughs> yeah so well, I love that because it's like they want they do want to make this as accurate as possible, and I really appreciated knowing that and hearing that directly from one of the writers. So it, it's in, it's interesting that you point that out too, because when we do think of like the narrative of the church, right? We become a state in Utah, we denounce polygamy, and then we sort of jump to like David O. McKay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not to say that there wasn't everything in between. <laughs> Tiny bit on Joseph F. Smith and like his vision of the spirit world, and then we hop up right to right, the- right, right, right. Like we we uh, you know we we get out of debt and we do some welfare stuff somewhere in there a little bit, and then we're David O. McKay and on. Yep. Uh, which I think history wise, and I'm not sure when it was actually originally built, but uh, this is my hard shoehorned segue into this whole thing. Uh, Washington D.C. Temple somewhere in the mid 1900s. Oh, let's see. I, I got, the article I saw said that it, the open, upcoming open house, it'll be the first time it's open to the public since 1974. But I don't know if that's when it was first dedicated. Hmm. I would think so. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about it and I'll find when it was built. Okay. So apparently that, so the church announced initially, of course, the pandemic messed everything up. I think it was supposed to be finished last year. Um, it will be finished in 2022 instead. They announced the open house date, um, and then they, originally they were supposed to then dedicate the temple in June, but within like two weeks, and the open house is not till April, keep in mind, it's still April 22, um, but within two weeks of the announcement, nearly half of the available parking reservations were filled, and they're like, oh, there's a lot more interest than we thought, I'm not, you know, I want to go, it's DC on the East Coast, there's like, there's a lot, yeah, that makes tracks to me. Um, but then, so they've extended it. So the open house is now going to go a couple months longer. And at this point, um, the dedication is set for August 14th, 2022. Um, and I would not be surprised if they extend it again. But one interesting thing is that apparently tickets are not required for the tour. Hmm. So you're required for parking, but not for the tour itself, which is different from how it's worked, at least with the open houses we've had in Utah lately. So I thought that was interesting too. So if you want them, want the parking ticket or whatever, not a parking ticket, a ticket to park. 
Yeah. Um, it's uh, dctemple.org is the URL. Uh, and it was September of 1974 when it was dedicated originally. I thought that temple was a little bit older, but when you think about the D.C. area and the visibility of that temple, like I think a few other temples that are as visible as the Washington, D.C. Well, temple. As you mentioned in a recent episode, it's often compared to, you know, Wizard of Oz and, you know, castles and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, San Diego, I think of as another temple that's right off the freeway and has a lot of interest in people going, what is that building? I want to know more about that. Um, and then I think probably more people know about it, but certainly the Laie Temple in uh, on Oahu in Hawaii is another one of those temples where you go, man, you know exactly where that is, member of the church or, or not. Yep. Uh, this I thought was pretty interesting, and I love seeing stuff like this come out. Um, Elder Bednar was uh, recently um, shared in a video with the young single adults about the church's new emotional resilience course, and I had no idea that uh, that the church had kind of backed this thing. It's called Finding Strength in the Lord, Emotional Resilience. It includes resources on topics like building emotional resilience, developing healthy thinking patterns, managing stress and anxiety, understanding sadness and depression, and overcoming anger. Um, and it's a program that, I, as I understand it, you can get through the app, the church app, the Gospel Library app. Uh, you can also find it. There will be a link in the show notes if you're having difficulty finding it through your app. But it's available in English, French, Portuguese, Russian, and Spanish with 10 more languages coming in March. And it's it's fully um, available like manuals and videos. So if you, want to, if, if you have a need to teach this in your particular congregation or like with a group of people, uh, you can find it at LDS.org or in the app, you go to Gospel Library and under Life Help, which I think is an, a completely underutilized resource because how many people listening to this, be honest by a show of hands, knew that there was a Life Help section of the Gospel Library app? Any opposed by the same sign? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. We... It's, I, th- I think the church is doing a great job about um, sharing uh, all, all, or I'm sorry, developing all these things. I don't think we do as good of a job about knowing that they're even there. Let alone using them. Yeah, yeah. let alone using them, of course. Like, have you seen all the resources with like uh, the, the speeches by women leaders in the church? There's a whole section oh, about yeah. women leaders of the church. Yes, well, I, that's the, um, if I remember correctly, is the text. You can buy um, the book, a desert book. Uh, the thing is, it's, oh, something read from the pulpit, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all of these sermon, you know, talks and sermons given by women throughout the entire history, and it's um, co-edited by Jenny Reeder, who is former guest of the hall and one of my good high school friends. So. A- and... Uh, I, and has become a social media friend of mine. I was visiting with her the, just the other day, and she said, you know, it wasn't just lip service when I said I like the cultural hall, and I said, really? And she's like, no, I really enjoy it. And I said, oh, that, that's very kind. She's one of the, literally the, one of the nicest people on the planet. She's just, oh, she's and, awesome. And since, and since we're talking about her being awesome, I'll go one step further. A future episode of the cultural hall that's coming, I sit down with Robin Jensen. He is a... Um, a church historian who worked on the Joseph Smith papers and how I was able to get connected with him was I asked Jenny reader to say, Hey, tell Robin, I'm an okay guy to talk to. And so she did. So another shout out for the nicest person in the world. Totally tracks. Uh, what else do you have? So speaking church history, um, January 29th, 
of this year, 2022, was the 175th anniversary of the arrival of a Mormon battalion in San Diego. And yes, they are calling it Mormon battalion. They're not changing the name of that um, to the church names. So Elder Christofferson went down there and they had this big 175th year celebration um, talking about you know, the 500 Latter-day Saints that were recruited to help fight in the war with Mexico. Um, of course, they didn't fight, but it was about a 2,000 mile you know, trek that they took um, I like to point out to a lot of people, it wasn't just men. They actually had wives and cooks and cleaners. And, you know, they, I think there are even some children who went along. Um, but, yeah, it's and part of me just thinks, how do they even do that? And then you go, OK, well, they did a lot because the president of the United States promised money to help the saints if they did. So but they suffered a ton. And anyway, so they're there. And I think Hans Mill, not Hans Mill, Mill uh, Sutter's Mill. Mm-hmm. And the gold rush began shortly after that. So Elder Christopherson was there. At the Old Town San Diego State Historic Park. And, so and, there, and there's a whole uh, mission there. If you ever get the opportunity to go to San Diego to the old mission, um, like there, right around there, there's like an old mission. It's almost like a like a ghosty town. It's, it's a huge tourist attraction. You can take the train right there, and they have like the different restaurants that you can go into and the old like shops, you know, a blacksmith shop, and you can go into a candy shop and get stick candy and whatever. And then right adjacent to that, there is uh, the Mormon Battalion, like mission headquarters, sisters that serve there. In, in some cases, most of their mission to give tours and, and tell people about what went on there. And it, it's actually pretty cool. It's just a, it's also a great place if you need to use the bathroom uh, or you need to get into some air conditioning when you're at Old Town and you need a little break from all the noise and the people. You just skedaddle up to the old mission, take a breather on the couch, and then you can head back out and, and get to about your activities. Keeping it real. Um. I found this article, and and I won't go too deep into it because it's just more of an an interesting read. Uh, it was the headline is I failed at multi level marketing. It taught me a lot about my priorities and myself. And it's the story of a woman who was raised in the church in a devout family, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and she talks about um, conversion culture. And I've never heard that referenced before, um, but the idea that uh, as members of the church, we want everyone to enjoy our own personal brand of spiritual happiness, the idea that we found the way and that we want to share that the way with others. And it, it, it was just an interesting, it's, it's by far a more like scholarly look at the idea of this is the thing that everyone needs to have and how that primes members of the church, especially um, for like affinity fraud and to be susceptible to things like MLMs, uh, even though people would say, no, there's nothing wrong with them. What? No, it's just an opportunity for you to have your dreams come true while you're working from home and taking care of your family. Yeesh. Yeah. Cringe. But, but watch the Lularoe documentary. Yes. But it, but it is, it is interesting to hear someone who, um, was a part of the church and being able to look at it and going, oh, oh, this is why this is detrimental. Not, and it's not a look at the church. This is why this is detrimental. So it's not like a, you know, a scathing piece about the church. But it is, it it is interesting to note that the reason why we find ourselves maybe being a little bit more susceptible is because this idea of conversion culture. Just, just an interesting read. If you hear that and you go, nah, I don't think I'm going to like that very much. You don't have to. Move along. Don't read that oh, thing. 
I do think it's fascinating though, um, and, and having just watching how missionary work has shifted over the years. How you know, even in the seventies, where you have to memorize the discussions word by word, mm-hmm. and uh, you practice some very specific door approaches, and then you come home, and then you could do you know sell things door to door using the exact same tactics, mm-hmm. um, which is you know rubs you the wrong way. That now how it's definitely more is principle driven, it's spirit driven. Um, and I don't think that the church was wrong necessarily back then, but it's like training wheels. We're learning and we're growing and God works with the imperfect instruments that he has to work with. And as we improve as a church and as a people, then we can do better. So I, I think it's awesome where we are now compared to 30, 40 years ago. Well, and the, those lessons were so prescriptive before, whereas now it's like, where are these people at? Oh, they're not really understanding this, or they really need a message of hope or one of repentance or whatever. Whereas before it was, most people believe in a supreme being. We believe this. And I mean, I appreciate that you said that it went all the way till the seventies in 99 to 2001. It was memorized discussions, you know, second, second discussion you'd invite for baptism. Third discussion, you'd talk about, you know, the, the apostasy and, and in great depth. Yeah. Everyone, discussion is the word of wisdom. Discussion. Yeah. Yep. 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 But definitely cool to see that we've come a long way. What else do you have? Uh, so this this uh, this is a, an adorable little article. Um, it's actually a bit. Uh, it was on air in Michigan, a town named uh, of Adrian W T O L Channel Eleven. Uh, <laughs> they had a little report. Literally, there's this, this reporter out there reporting about how they had this big winter storm, and there's two teenage boys who are shoveling all of these driveways. You might think they're doing it for money, but they're not. They're just good young men who want to help out. They're elders. They're missionaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, and so they interview them and it's kind of hilarious. And so, um, he really just wants to go out and serve and do good. So I think that says a lot, especially in today's age to see a 20 year old get out there just doing it to help other people. Anyway, so the, you know, the, the, it closed with, you know, they're going to, they're, they're planning to shovel 15 driveways and we have another storm on the way. So they're going to have their work cut out for them. Yeah. It, was, it was great. It was just hilarious to me that this, this actually made the evening news. I thought it was adorable. I I love when the church or missionaries especially get featured in like the small hometown paper. Exactly. Uh, you know, just the the little like it's part time journalist that puts the thing together and shares the thing. Stories like that are just awesome. And for me, that the cracked me up the most on this is it actually hit the TV news. Like it was it went beyond the local paper. Actually, it was on the evening news. I yeah, kind of fun. Uh, it, what does it say about the world that you live in? That that's newsworthy though that we aren't helping each other out that actually is kind of a sad statement but the um the groundbreaking this is a hard shift into a a complete different area but worth noting the groundbreaking of the farmington new mexico temple has been set it's set for the 30th of april uh 2022 um they're preparing for it now it's a temple that looks like a, a lot of the other temples that we're building uh recently it will be dedicated by anthony d perkins i'm guessing that's a 70 i'm not sure who that person is uh it will be a 25,000 square feet temple two instruction rooms two ceiling rooms and one baptistry uh it is elder anthony d perkins the quorum of the 70 um and people can check out uh, a picture of what that looks like. It looks a lot to me like the Orem, Utah Temple, uh, but that dedication and groundbreaking is set for the 30th of April. And I'll tell you what, I'm not sure how close you live to the Orem Temple, uh, Annette, but that temple seems like it came in overnight, and it's almost done, right? 
I feel I'm driving along and there's, you know, suddenly there, what is that? Like, oh, that's, that, that's the temple. I didn't even know where it was. And there it is. Yeah, it came up like out of the blue. Not that I leave home much anymore with pandemic and stuff, but when I have driven on the freeway, like one day it's there and the next day it, or it wasn't and then it was. Crazy. It, it's interesting too there because of how they must build temples now like the lower level is white which i presume is what their the color will be when it you know goes to be dedicated but the upper part is still gray so it's very much like this two-tone you know like a dark charcoal gray and white and i love it i love the way that it looks now i know that they will either paint it white or there must be a you know yeah stone that goes over the top that they're just not ready for it yet but this idea of this charcoal on the top and white below temple it's it's kind of cool i don't think i've seen it but i should go check it out well this week instead of having walmart deliver your groceries you go get those groceries and you can see the temple we'll do it uh what else do you have uh, the keynote speakers for Roots Tech have been announced, and um, there's some interesting ones. We've got um, Grammy winner Diego Torres. We have a French baker, and I'm going to completely slaughter her name. Um, sorry, Louisa, my best friend. She, has, she speaks French beautifully, but Apollonia Poiliane or something like that. Perfect. Uh, she she owns this bakery. It's a family business, and her parents died when she was 18, but she decided to carry, to carry it on, which is awesome. Um, and then Africa's greatest boxing legend, Samuel Azuma Nelson, will be there. And finally, um, this is the one that I think possibly um, more of listeners will recognize, Matthew Modine, the actor. Um, he's been he's been in a ton of stuff. I personally remember him from um, Gross Anatomy, that movie from like 89 or something, but that, that dates me. Um, others, I recognize him from Dark Knight Rises, as the third of the Christian Bale Batman movies or Stranger Things. He's been in tons of stuff um was raised or at least born into the church i uh, went to byu um no we're believe he's active anymore anything like that but he will be speaking um he and his wife have married for 40 years so there's some of that he'll be talking about about him him and his wife and um and his career so how is your husband uh, preparing for Roots Tech? I know uh, in the last episode of Articles of News, we talked about how because of your husband's work alone, over okay. one million people uh, were able to partake in Roots Tech. Is he? Has he? Are you a Roots Tech widow yet? Uh, well, fortunately, he's not quite as involved as he was last year. Last year was completely insane. A lot of the groundwork to go virtual, of course, was laid last year. Mm. Um, so this year, it's you know making things better like what you know last year it was you know we should do is this and we get to have to say well that would have been great eight months ago to think about <laughs> but we don't have time to implement that so this year they could implement things like that um so he's done more consulting and talking to groups and teams um rather than like i mean yeah fortunately because yeah last year was insane it was completely nuts but um, uh, and but, yeah. i don't know i don't know if you can tell us anything but is there anything in the way that it's going to roll out or anything that you know is coming up that will be first of its kind that we can get excited about with Roots Tech? I don't want to get your husband in trouble, but I also don't mind if we get your husband in a little <laughs> trouble if you tell us something cool. Not, honestly, not that I'm aware of. Right now, they're, they're doing all kinds of things like just getting all the videos of the because they're doing things all around the world in all kinds of languages, so trying to get the translations in and get the thumbnails and every people keep submitting things in like for the wrong formats without this. I mean, just... Hmm. The basic stuff that you'd expect, but just on a crazy huge level. So, yeah. um, but I have my niece-in-law is speaking at Roots Tech, so that'll be kind of cool. So I have to keep an, an eye out for Shawnee's Lucy. There we go. 
some genealogist. So yeah. Uh, the Mesa Temple and the Mesa Easter pageant is returning this year. Oh, it's cool. been uh, gone for a couple years, but for those down in the Arizona area, or I know several people who make the trek because it's still kind of miserable weather where you're at if you live anywhere, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, even still in April, they make the trek down uh, April 6th through the 9th and 12th through the 16th on the north lawn of the Mesa Temple. Uh, that pa- that pageant is on a three-year hiatus. I didn't realize that. I guess because the temple was taken down, then it was COVID, COVID, now it's back. Um, it used to draw nearly 100,000 people a year. So people are looking forward to that. It has uh, poignant moments of the Savior's life with a 400-plus member costume cast, music, dance, drama, live animals, and special effects, all performed on a massive four-story high stage. That sounds cool. I've never I, been. I actually thought it wasn't going to come back since all the other pageants were canceled. So that's surprising. It's kind of cool. That's awesome. And it's before Arizona gets miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is miserable before, before it turns into, you know burning hot down there yeah yeah i know like hilkamore pageant's done it's not coming back but uh i saw the other day a good friend of mine is performing in the nauvoo pageant so those smaller really? stage pageants in nauvoo are returning you know manti is done yeah manti's gun that was actually i actually wonder if that was going to be a financial hit to the community because they have a lot of people coming in every summer for that they, yeah that they one in emory county utah that um I saw a small clip of and went, oof, that should have ended 20 years ago. I know that one's done. I don't know about the Martin Harris pageant that takes place mm-hmm. in northern Utah or Idaho. It's like the man who knew or something like that about mm-hmm. the life of Martin Harris. I'm not sure if that's a church-sponsored thing or just a community-sponsored thing, but the pageants have gone mostly uh, by the wayside. That's one of the things that President Nelson has has said. We're done. And, and in some cases, really, really maybe... We should have been done with it a while back, but uh, yeah. Um, I've got another story here. How many more do you have? Just one. And I've got one too. So we're going to end, unfortunately. I just just want to add a memory. So back in early 90s, I had a friend who, he and his family decided to go out to uh, try to do, uh, be in the, um, oh, the Palmyra. Hold on. What was that? Is it? Hilkamora. Hilkamora in Palmyra. Yep. Great. Um, and he he was 18, I believe. And um, the that you show up on audition when you got there, right? It wasn't like bad things in advance. Someone came up to him and said, "Are you afraid of heights?" And he goes, "No." Like, well, they're a skyscraper. So they cast him as Christ and they lowered him on a crane. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so I'm like, Waha. So yeah. So back in the day, someone asked you if you're scared of heights. That was why they were considering you to play Christ. I'm not down off a crane. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of crazy stuff. Anyway, and he, then he finds out he's like, "Yes, I am." As as a matter of fact, I don't. I please, yeah. Uh, okay, so the last two stories, not great stories. Uh, the one that you've got is far worse than the one that I'm going to share. Uh, but if you are like, man, this has just been happy and, and that's it. And that's where you want to engage in this episode. That's great. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Um, but yet there are still two other stories that we're going to share. Uh, mine is about James Huntsman. No, not the uh, former billionaire who passed away a few years ago. His son, James Huntsman, a member of one of Utah's most prominent families, brother of the former governor. Uh, he is 
continuing his argument that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints used donations that the church solicited for charity for commercial purposes. So uh, where this sort of stems from is uh, the money that—his contention is the money that was used to build City Creek, the mall in downtown uh, Salt Lake City, adjacent to Temple Square. He is saying that that, among other uh, things that the church has purchased, is used with money that was intended for for charity. So it's two parts. One, he said, "Hey, that's not right, and this needs to be um, this needs to be addressed because they're using the money that they're saying for one thing on another." And then the second part of it is, he he also would like his tithing money back. So he, in his life, uh, paid near $5 million in uh, tithing as his contributions to the church. And, um, and he said, you know what? I-, I want that back, and I don't think that they are being honest as far as that goes. So uh, this original lawsuit filed, went through the court system, and was dismissed. And he, because of how the legal process works, says, you know what? I'm going to appeal that, and now... That is why this has hit the news again recently. If you're thinking, well, what's new? What's different? He is just appealing the ruling that existed from before, saying, hey, you know what? I really think they're being dishonest about this, and I'd like to have my tithing money back, please. So stay tuned as far as the details. That's sort of the catch up there. It's a very good chance to be like, sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that they will or, you know, said a little bit differently. Like, the church will continue to fight it. Um, because, you know, they they can point to where money was used, so that's one thing. And two, I, I think that it, so- it sounds off um, a really dangerous precedent for the church if one person is able to get their tithing back. There are a lot of people who, when they leave the church, go, oh, man, if I could have that money back, the money that I donated to the church while I was a part of it. So, I mean, and rightfully so, they'll they'll fight against it because they don't feel like they did anything wrong, and and the court system will decide whether they did or they didn't. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you can take back a donation to a charity that you gave willingly, knowing you wouldn't get it back, I mean, from a legal standpoint, you might not have a leg to stand on, regardless yeah. whether you agree with how the church is dealing with the money. But, yeah. All right, you're going to bring us home with this yeah, horrible, this terrible a story? A horrible story, but hopefully there's some, I mean, I have a little bit of light at the very end, but... Um, there, this poor Canadian teen, Ashley Wadsworth, she apparently she met a young man online in England. Um, she was baptized last March, if I recall correctly, in 2021. Um, so she joined the church and um, then was trying to find someone who shared her beliefs. And then the headline says that she went to the UK to share her faith. Um, but the article didn't mention anything specifically about that. So I'm not sure if she was staying up for this and visiting boyfriend of hers. Um, and then after a few weeks, um, things were going a little bit weird. She said she started using so, um, secret social media accounts to contact her friends at home. Red flags. Um, her boyfriend didn't like her to talk to her friends at home. Another red flag there. Um, but anyway, there was, a, there was a big fight. And then the police were called when the neighbors overheard the argument and police arrived and he had stabbed her to death which was just it just absolutely breaks my heart i mean the story is just so she'd never left canada before this is her first overseas trip she's getting ready to come home and that's when this escalated so what i wanted the the positive side i wanted to end on is that 
if, if anyone is in a situation where they those those there are those red flags where someone is trying to control your access to other people for communications, um, that is called um, coercive control, and those are massive red flags. So if you, if you look up the Dash Risk Model, and there's great resources there. It's created by um, her name is Laura Richardson, I believe, in the UK. Um, and DASH stands for like domestic abuse and stalking something or other. Um, but they, she helped create this, this whole system and this risk assessment. And they have actually managed to decrease the domestic violence deaths in parts of London by about like half or something. Some crazy, wow. amazing number using this risk assessment. Because some of it is just not understanding how serious some of these red flags are. Because she was planning on leaving and that's when it escalated. Um, so how to get out safe, how to reach out for help all of that. So um, so the DASH risk model, it is based in the UK, but it has resources and, the, and I'm looking at the risk assessment for yourself or someone that you know um, could be very useful as well. So hopefully you can learn from this and help somebody else not end up in a similar situation as for Ashton. Yeah. Yeah. And as I sort of read through the article, the other thing that was glaring to me is that she was someone who was just trying to find connection with another person yeah. and, and think of how disconnected all of us feel over the last couple of years, right? Like I'm not as connected to folks as I, I feel like I was before, you know, and, and so you have a young person who just is looking for someone that says, Hey, I understand you. I love you. You come be with me and, you know, and maybe we don't do those things to the, the that drastic level, but like there are people within our congregations who are just looking for, for someone to be connected to. And, and that was on top of the death of this individual, the murder of this individual, the, the kind of sad thing where it's just like, you know, we just, everybody just wants to be connected, wants to be loved by someone. So maybe we can take that as a lesson and look around for those people who want to be connected to us or that we could connect to, or just want to feel a little bit of love and a little bit of hope. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't know that we made that a positive story, but it, but maybe something we can take away from it and it's just sad and tragic. So, so, so sad, so sad. Um, let us take a break in the third block. We're going to talk to the anonymous hoster, the poster, the person behind at BYU parody, uh, a Twitter account that has me tickled pink sometimes. Uh, Annette, thank you for being here with me. I appreciate as always your time. And, uh, and, you know, as you become more and more of a widow with your husband being at Roots Tech, just pack his lunch and tell him that you'll see him in, in uh, April. Will <laughs> give, him a li- give him a little patty pat on the butt and tell him it's from Richie. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. <laughs> okay, I will. I'll be back. Done. Oh, hey, is this seat taken? My name is Kurt Frankham from the Leading Saints podcast, and it's about time I make it to the back row of the culture hall and tell you what's happening. Your friends over at Leading Saints are organizing another virtual conference, and this time we're talking about how do we lead the rising generation. We're calling it the Young Saints Virtual Conference. That's right. How do we lead 12-year-olds and beyond into church and even the young adults? They live in a different world than many of us when we were young, and they face unique challenges. So we've gathered 20-plus presenters who have a unique experience working with youth and finding success. To get all the details and to see who is speaking and what topics will be covered, visit LeadingSaints.org slash youth. You can find the link in the show notes or simply visit LeadingSaints.org slash youth. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. 
Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. You know, I'll say at the very beginning of this, I love when we're able to do stuff like this. It's it's just so fun for me. What is this? Well, I should probably let you in on on this, uh, what, secret? I don't know. Uh, if you don't know, you can follow at The Cultural Hall on Twitter. That's just one of many social media places that we exist, and uh, we would encourage you to do that. Now, in the Twitterverse, I know that's a, a, a word because I looked it up actually this morning, you might find other great accounts. And one of those accounts that I have just found so much joy recently is in the BYU official updates. Now, you you might be thinking, no, wait a minute, that doesn't sound that exciting. That sounds like a harbor for press releases from Brigham Young University. Oh, no, no, no. That's just the name of it. The actual, like, handle of BYU official updates is BYU parody. And so it is, it is parody, it is satire, it is comedy, and I love that we have alias Helen from BYU Parody here with us. Thanks for being here, Helen. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I need to know, uh, how long have you been uh, tweeting at this handle, and what made you decide to start to be so hilarious? I'm sure you've always been <laughs> hilarious, but to share your humor in this way. Um, so it's actually, it hasn't been quite a year yet. We're almost approaching a year. Um, and it started after the whole, um, BYU rainbow lights thing from last year where they came out and condemned against it. Um, so for people who don't know, just to set the stage, the whole rainbow lights thing at BYU is the why on the mountain. Uh, several people hiked up there. I know people have seen the images, and, and certainly we've heard the most recent reaction to it. But in in sort of uh, not only protest but also support of LGBTQ folks, several people with different colored lights went up. They shone the lights on the Y, and so the the letter Y on Y Mountain showed up in rainbow colors. Yes, and I think that was like March of 2021, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was from that where. I kind of wanted to, I guess, not release my frustrations about it, but just kind of point out the very direct hypocrisy and just absurdity of the situation. And just kind of on a whim, I created this account and started throwing some things out there and it caught on. It's super random and all over the place that like i'm surprised it's taken off as much as it has so give me an idea uh, uh, about what because i mean to say that you were maybe upset at, at, at some level of hypocrisy i think people would know which side you sort of fell on but what was it about the the reaction that made you go oh i can't hold this in anymore yes i think it was a combination of just the repeated behavior that byu and by extension, kind of the LDS church has shown towards LGBTQ people, um, plus the, I guess, the way that the people in the church have tried to, like, excuse it or, like, because I grew up Mormon. I am no longer a part of the church, but I still have very direct ties to a lot of people who are still in it or a lot of people who are still kind of in that realm um, and just seeing the amount of like pain or frustration that it's causing other people. I, I don't have a lot of 
power myself, but I wanted to do what I could with the abilities that I have to just kind of bring some levity to the situation. Um, so, so hearing that, hearing that that you are uh, a, a person that was raised in the church and then uh, no longer finds themselves within the church, I think that maybe some people would think, well, then this is just a a bitter account or a way to sort of dis- destroy the church or, or shed a bad light on it. And, and I don't get that feeling as I followed uh, at BYU Parody on Twitter. How do you walk that line of being? you know, parody satire, but not vengeful and, oh, my idiots. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it comes down to um, parodying the institution and kind of the unfair po- power dynamics within it rather than, like, bringing down the people inside of it or trying to demean those that are actually trying to, like, fight to make a difference or those that like, because I still have a lot of family members and friends who are still part of the church. While I don't necessarily agree with their choice, I do want to make sure that I'm not alienating them or making them feel like they're, yeah, like I want to make sure that I am directing that frustration upwards, punching upwards, I guess. Well, and there's an interesting thing, I think, that comes with comedy, and I would imagine you agree, and that's why you do what you do, is that when we, if 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 I came to you, Helen, and I said, I want to be combative, I think you'd be like, no, I don't want to... I want to fight with anyone. I, you know, that doesn't sound like a great thing for me. But if, but if someone is able to convey a, a situation and there's humor and truth in the humor, and that's part of what makes that funny, I think that's a, a safer way for many people to be able to engage in what they think. But also, I, I think in many ways, a way for them to safely look at what they either believe or profess to believe and go, oh, hey, hearing this in this way that maybe is a, a, a little bit ridiculous, or maybe I do need to take a closer look at that. Absolutely. Yeah, I am definitely not a confrontational person, um, and I never really have been, and I've found that a lot of healing and like meaningful conversation can come out of um, like making light of a situation that can bring a lot of pain or just hurt feelings or it can help like you said illuminate some of the more ridiculous aspects of a situation um and i have found that comedy has been a very good avenue to explore in terms of being able to shed that light while also making it feel more comfortable to approach rather than coming at it from a hey this is something really terrible and we need to pay attention to it um, also not paying attention to it is bad, et cetera, or whatever. It, it, was that your come at though, when you were starting this whole thing, or was it just, I'm so frustrated, I need a place to vent. Otherwise, you know, the, the top is going to come off of this kettle or whatever the thing. It was mostly a place of venting from frustration. Yeah. Um, I attended BYU for a little bit. I didn't complete my degree there, but um, the time that I was there was I, I don't, at least more than a decade ago, but seeing 
how little it's actually changed <laughs> in that time frame. Um, and the amount of harm that it was still causing, I, I needed to do something about just the frustration I had, but knowing that doing it in a comedic way would also potentially help other people feel like release some of that frustration. Go, ah, okay. There are other people who feel the same way and it's okay to like joke about it in order to talk about it more effectively or safely. I hesitate to do what I'm about to do only uh, because I feel like it's it. <laughs> Once upon a time, we had someone in the cultural hall who uh, tried to uh, explain a, a comic strip out loud. And I think that you sort of consume the mediums in which they should be best enjoyed. But because this is a Twitter account and because I find such uh, cleverness in what you write, I'm hoping that maybe if you remember or you can you can uh, go to that within your Twitter account to be able to share a tweet or two that, that maybe has been most enjoyed um, by folks. Or even if you just sort of remember like, oh, you know, my my most popular tweet, this is, this is a paraphrase or an exact of what I said and, and why I feel like it resonated the way it did. Yes. So um, there's been two different versions of kind of the same tweet that have gone fairly popular, kind of semi-viral. Um, it's the one where it was like, BYU will not be taking any preventative measures against the Omicron variant or against COVID unless it comes out as LGBT. <laughs> Wait, that, wait. Those ones seem to take off the most. <laughs> and, and 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 I think it it's it's fairly telling. But I always love this. The tell me why you think that that is it is a particularly resonant um, subject, topic, and tweet that that people have have taken to. Um, I think especially with just the way that Utah in general has handled the pandemic, um, and like with BYU, there was a lot of discussion, especially at the beginning of this semester on like BYU and LDS Twitter about how nobody was being informed about any kind of precautions or safety measures or anything about the variant or about making sure people don't catch it or et cetera, no mask mandates or anything. But then as soon as anyone does anything related to the LGBTQ community, like the second display of lights on the Y, BYU almost immediately came out and said, okay, we are no longer allowing people to go onto the Y anymore to do any kind of these protests. They will take so much action against something that affects a small handful of people that they don't like or that they think goes against their beliefs, but then anything that's related to public health or kind of the general overall well-being unless it has affected like the institution itself or their bottom line they haven't done anything against it so i think that kind of contradiction the hypocrisy there is where i wanted to point it out and just that simple little sentence say no we're we're not going to take any actions against this unless mm -hmm. it comes out as queer so, so some would say that you that you have sort of fallen or painted yourself into the same narrative that is told within the church, which is those that leave the church can't leave it alone. What what do you what do you think about that? I I would love 
to leave it behind, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but with living in Utah and with having so many people that are still a part of it, um, and with the amount of harm that it continues to cause for those marginalized communities, I feel a moral obligation to speak out and to help stand up for the people that they are still like perpetuating harm against. Mm. Um, and I mean, having grown up in that, like being taught that we need to stand up for what's right. And then the second that anyone who leaves the church tries to do that, they get upset saying that it's like an attack against the church and we can't leave it alone. Um, it's, I think it's important to understand that it's not so much that I don't like, it's not that I can't leave it alone. It's that it has not left the people I love alone. Hmm. And so I want to make, I want to keep my loved ones safe. I want to make sure that they have a place that they can be free to be themselves or to feel like they belong or that they aren't horrible people for simply existing. And so it's soon like if the church or BYU were to renounce their ways or um, just stop being really horrible and like actually acknowledge the harm that they've done, I would have no reason to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a tweet I did a while back after they banned, after BYU banned the peaceful protests and then tweeted something about the importance of peaceful protests where I quote retweeted them and said, they're going to put us out of a job. <laughs> because the material writes itself at this point almost. Um, and as, as soon as they stop writing that material, I will have no reason to keep doing it. Do you have a sense for who follows who, who is enjoying it, your content? It's kind of a mixed bag. I think there are a lot of faithful members. I know there are definitely a lot of members of the LGBTQ community. Um, and I know that there are also a lot of like ex-Mormons on there. Um, and I think there are some people who are part of BYU who are faithful, but are also like, who kind of agree with the terrible things that are posted there. And so it's like a weird amalgamation of like multiple sides coming together to see these unofficial things that BYU is posting. And some people go, wow, that's terrible. And some people go, oh, they should definitely do that. And then those people I usually block. Because um, <laughs> it's, it's not so much that I want BYU to do these things. It's that they're within the realm of possibility. And the people who follow go, oh, wow, yeah, that, that, is, that is something that needs to be addressed, I guess. The, the subject of anonymity, I think, is an interesting one as well. I think that some people would say, listen, if you're so bold to, to you know, say these things about this organization, uh, you know, why are we calling you Helen? Spoiler, her name's not actually Helen. And, you know, this video that we're recording is not going to be made available because that was the premise of which you would uh, be able to discuss with me. But why, why be anonymous? Why not say, yeah, I feel these things and I stand up for it and, and here, here we go? Um, I, I want to be anonymous solely just for kind of the 
more official aspect of it to kind of keep that kind of, uh, I, I guess it's like a wanting to make it seem like it's coming from an actual place of BYU, kind of like the actual BYU accounts where it's done by a bunch of interns or mm-hmm. like there's not really an official. Um, it's not so much that I want to hide because I am also very publicly against the things that BYU and the church does on my main Twitter account Mm -hmm. and just in general life. Um, So it's not so much that I don't want to merge or it's not that I don't want to stay anonymous for like not being bold enough to speak out against things. It's more of a character type driven choice. I, I, I don't know. It's, no, that's kind of where I've approached it. Um, and I mean, if people look, there are enough links that could put two and two together for like who runs the account, um, like the multiple people that have contributed things, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, it's more you, about, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you feel like there are many that know that you do it or do you sort of find joy in being your own persona and also this other persona? Oh, there are a lot of people who know that I run the account. Okay. Okay. I wonder um, how, how, yeah. how deep the anonymity ran. The other thing that I would be curious is, you know, we talk about walking that delicate line between uh, parody and, and then just being viciousness or, 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 or a bully, I guess, on the other side. Uh, are the, has there ever been anything that you have tweeted or had want to tweet that you've just been like, yeah, that, that's not, that's going to be too harsh, too much, too extreme? Yeah, there have been a few things. Um, it's a delicate line where I want to still be approachable to people who might be on like the pro BYU side um, to kind of get them to critically analyze things, but going too like harshly critical or being like just overtly angry or upset about things tends to turn them away or like get them to stop looking at things with a more engaged or critical eye. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any specific examples. Um, I know that there are a lot of tweets that I've drafted or deleted about um, just like general LDS church things or like the amount of money that they have stockpiled or various historical things. Um, and I've decided to kind of leave those to like the other Twitter accounts that address more directly kind of the historical difficulties and inaccuracies, et cetera, within the church. Um, and I've wanted to focus more on pointing things out, kind of giving a little lead for people to have a discussion without going too harshly into it so that it turns people off from it. And, and I appreciate that. And, and and to be clear, I don't know that I necessarily uh, uh, agree 
certainly with everything that you tweet and and even some of what you have said and shared within this time. And I think that that's great that we can have this conversation and that I think that what you're able to put out is like, hey, here is is this point of view and this maybe reflection of, of what you feel and what you've set, seen at BYU and, and how that goes. And that 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 very conversation that can come out of it is an opportunity for growth. I think some people... Um, and I don't think they last very long in the cultural hall, they would say, well, why would you talk to someone who's no longer a member of the church who's saying these terrible things about BYU? And 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 I think that there is value in what you are doing for someone who is a true believing member of the church. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be here. And, and so, you know, to, to the extent that you're able to create those conversations, to be able to, in some way, be able to point out a perspective that, that several people wouldn't be able to have, uh, to be able to offer a, a counterpoint to my point or point to my counterpoint, I, I love being able to see it. And so I, I really hope that it continues to be a, a thing that, that brings you joy and that I encourage people to check it out. It may not be for everyone. I'll be honest. It may not be. It's it's definitely (laughs) not for everyone. Um, But, but I know, but I know for me, Helen, I love calling people that by their (laughs) alias name, because we both sort of wink and go, "Uh right, Helen. Uh, (laughs) uh, I I know, I know for me that, um, that, that I just appreciate when, when people can really uh, nail it right on the head and and it, it there's not that that argument for like whether it is or whether it isn't like you're just a, it's a statement of fact but it's a statement of a fact in a way that I haven't ever looked at it before it's presenting me with something where I can go what do I think about that that is a that is a true statement sometimes they're opinion but sometimes they're just true things that is a true statement said in a way that I have never looked at it that before and so that opportunity to reflect within myself uh, and it seems like I'm going super deep off of a you know just a dumb Twitter account, but 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 the uh, opportunities for self reflection that that uh, Twitter account has provided for me has been fascinating. And why I wanted to be able to visit with you is to be able to tell you thank you for what you do. I hope that you don't become a mean, vicious bully, but that you continue to to bring humor and and conversation to the space. And I would tell people to check out at BYU Parody. And again, with the warning, hey, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not for you. Parody and yeah, satire is not you. for everyone. Uh, there, there is, however, Helen, a question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and we ask you to interpret it however you may. And the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? Um, I am very much like I'm. Like I said, I'm no longer part of the church, mm-hmm. but my beliefs are very much centered in the idea of just loving other people and trying to find ways to help other people grow and also to just know that we're all imperfect and learning and trying to figure things out as we go along. We're just a bunch of random people on this planet just make a lot of us are just making things up as we go along, pretending like we know anything. Um, And I think the most important thing is to just find value in the diversity of humanity and to find the beauty of the various experiences that we have and to 
find ways to unify those experiences in a way that benefits and creates the most love and acceptance and community. Um, basically, I mean, even though I'm not a member of the church anymore, it, I still very much appreciate kind of the teachings of Jesus where mm -hmm. he says, Hey, lo love everyone. That, that's it. Just love everyone. Um, accept people and just be there for people. Yeah. Beautifully said. Uh, Helen, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. And if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, <laughs> that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Brother Brent, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row. We really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.